I'd, I'd uh, like to wish everyone good morning, and I'd like to welcome you to this edition of Bookends, the monthly Meet the Author session from the Team Approach, featuring books that are written for managers, supervisors, and HRD professionals. I'm Susan Stamm, and I'm very pleased to have Nick McCormick as my guest today on Bookends. Nick's book, Lead Well and Prosper, was written for supervisors and managers who want to be more effective on the job, and it presents 15 strategies for becoming a successful manager. Nick McCormick is a practice manager for an IT services firm where he helps companies support their computer systems. He has built and managed dozens of teams and organizations of information technology professionals. His efforts have been recognized through the receipt of multiple leadership awards, including AT&T's Partner in Delivering Excellence Award and Electronic Data Systems Leadership Coaching Award. Nick spends a good deal of time helping others become successful managers and leaders through his teaching, training, and writing. In fact, that is the mission of his new company, Be Good Ventures, LLC, where he recently published his first book, Lead Well and Prosper. You can order copies of today's book for your management team at Nick's website, which is BeGoodVentures.com. That's B-B-E, Good Ventures, all one word, Dot com. Nick believes that the world is threatened by an overwhelming tolerance of mediocrity, and by striving to be good in all aspects of our lives, we can combat this trend, making a significant impact in our lives and to society in general. Nick McCormick, welcome to Bookends. Thank you very much. Great <laughs> to be here. Nick, uh, this is a wonderful little book, and it's it's a lot of fun, but it's also very practical. And I loved the way you could just reach in and very quickly pull out an idea that could you uh, you could immediately apply in the workplace. And I was struck by a comment in the introduction of your book, where you talked about the fact that there's a whole industry springing up that's really poking fun at how bad management has gotten in so many organizations today. You know, this, of course, would include things like the Dilbert cartoon. And um, I wondered if you possibly had had a worst manager kind of experience yourself that maybe prompted you to write this book, and if so, if you might be willing to share it with us today. Well, uh, I, like most people, I think, that have been around for a while, have, have quite a few bad management stories, and I've probably caused a few. In fact, I'm, I'm sure I've caused a few. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's any one, but I will share with you one that, that comes to mind immediately. Uh, a few years back, I had a, I got a request from one of my, my boss's boss, and for those of you that have ever gotten a request from your boss's boss, usually there's some tinge of, of, of wackiness involved in the request, and this was this was the case here, too. And I went to my boss, and I said, listen, he's asking me to do this. It doesn't make any sense. Hmm. I don't think we should do it. And the boss agreed. And I said, well, what do we tell the big boss? What, you know, you want me to talk to him? He said, oh, I'll take care of that big boss. I'll take care of my boss. So the next day we were in his office, and the big boss called. And the reason I know it was the big boss is because I could hear him through the other end of the phone screaming, yelling um, why he didn't get his the information he requested and my boss just sat there and head nodded yeah we'll get nick to take care of it we'll, we'll just. so he didn't defend it he didn't defend the position and he let me take the fall for it oh so i'm sure worse things have happened 
to people, but that's just an example. And I think the key is, uh, this is very topical because I just wrote a blog entry about this. Uh, I was reading a book. I think there's a com fairly common saying is that you can always learn. In this case, you want to learn not to re try not to repeat those similar things. And the saying says you, you can learn as much from your tour mentors as you can from your mentors. Hmm. So that's the key is to try to limit limit these things. We're all going to cause these problems as managers. It's, sometimes it's inevitable, but you want to limit the amount of times because that can do a tremendous amount of damage um, to, to people. Obviously, trust is lost, and it's just not a good thing. Absolutely not. Wow, what a story. And, and uh, before we move on, before I forget, um, how would people access your blog if they wanted to read some of your wonderful entries about you know, the challenges of management, Nick? It's, it's the same address as my website, uh, www.begoodventures.com slash Joe and Wanda. Joe and Wanda. All one word, Joe mm -hmm. and Wanda. Joe and Wanda are the, the, the main fictional cast members from the book. Yes, they are, and uh, we'll be talking about them in, in just a moment. But before we do, um, could you tell me a little bit uh, about how you envisioned this particular book being used, and who who is the target audience that you were writing for? I'll take the second uh, second part of that first. I, I think because my book concentrates on the fundamentals of management mm -hmm. and leadership, I think it cuts across all levels of management, all industries. It's, it's it's a very broad target audience, probably broader than any mark, uh, marketer would like to see. Uh, but I find that more junior managers tend to gravitate it more because they're more willing to change and improve a lot of times. A lot of times when you have seasoned managers, they're, they're less likely to, to take suggestions. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really appealing to the, the more of the direct supervisor, one or two or maybe three levels, levels up. As far as how how I see the book being used, hopefully people read it first. That's the that's the first step to read through it. But I I also see it as a as an educational tool. And as you mentioned in the beginning, you can just open it up at any time and, and, and at any place within the book and find a tip for something that you could do or, or find something that you should avoid. So I, I'm hoping that people use it quite a bit as, as a reference and also as a teaching tool. Mm -hmm. Some people have offered, already told me that they use it either in a one-on-one -on -one set session, maybe a, a more senior manager teaching a junior manager, uh, or in a group session. And I'm actually working on creating a instructor guide. For the Great. Book, Wonderful. Conducive to training as well. Mm -hmm. So I hope people use it more than just to read it. The book is all about action, you know, just mm -hmm. not just reading about something, but putting something in place to improve. Excellent. Excellent. We'll look forward to seeing the, uh, the guidebook that you release in the future, so we'll stay posted for that. You had started to talk about Joe and Wanda, and uh, these are the two wonderful characters um, that you've created that introduce each of the chapters of your book with a, a little, very short whimsical, very powerful little dialogue scene that sets the stage for the topical area in that particular chapter. And uh, Joe is Joe Kerr, K-E-R-R, -R, but he's also known as Joker. And of course, he is in the role of the manager. And Wanda B. Good, who is the team leader who reports directly to Joker. And uh, 
I was wondering if, just to kind of set the stage and give us a little sense of these two characters, if you would be willing to read for us the very first dialogue that takes place between Joe and Wanda, and that's found on page 12. I'll start off with uh, Wanda says, Joe, the troops are a bit upset about the new directive to enter time into a third system. We already record time in multiple places. It's a demoralizer. Is there anything you can do about it? And Joe says, Wanda, you know my hands are tied on this one. Rules are rules. I don't like them any more than you do. I can remember when I first started. We had to enter our time manually on 12 spreadsheets. Believe me, you guys are getting off easy. And then Wanda thinks, some help he is. And then Joe thinks, boy, I'd really, I didn't realize Wanda was such a whiner. I'll have to keep my eye on this one. If she can't keep her staff in line, I'll need to find someone who can. We start to see this thread that develops in these two very different perspectives of leadership. And, uh, you know, we've been talking and reading about this idea that we call servant leadership for many years now. Do you think that managers are beginning to embrace this idea of servant leadership? Is it catching on? Are you seeing progress, as, you know, through your work with, with leaders as you do coaching and, and teaching? And Nick, where do you think we are we developing? Are we gaining on it? I don't think so. I mean, we could talk to, to other people who are on the call here today, but I, I see it going in the other direction, and I think there are a lot of reasons for it. I think managers are more strapped than ever. They keep getting assigned more and more duties, and the things that are the short that that, that don't have a short-term payoff uh, don't seem to get addressed. And, and treating people uh, as as uh, you know with respect and, and helping them out and acknowledging that they're the ones that are doing the work, uh, and, and the more you do for them, the more productive they become. I, I think that that's one of those things that just falls by the wayside. Hmm. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree. I just wondered if you had a different perception of it. I was looking for you to cheer me up on that one. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think that something really significant happens in the, in the second conversation that occurs between Joe and Wanda in your book. And I was wondering if you could also uh, highlight that conversation for us. Okay. Wanda starts off by saying, Joe, can you, ex this is on teach, the mm -hmm. manager's responsibility to teach. Wanda says, Joe, can you explain the budgeting process to me again? It's just not clicking for me yet. And Joe thinks, boy, did I get screwed. I'm up to my eyeballs in work, and this one can't write a proposal and doesn't know a P&L from a timesheet. I'll have to remember this when it comes time for her review. And then Joe says, I'm kind of busy right now, Wanda. How about I follow up with you in a few days? And then two weeks pass by, Wanda hears nothing from Joe. And Wanda thinks, I guess he's just too busy. Maybe I can get help from somebody else. In the meantime, I'll just do the best I can. I must not be doing too badly. Joe would tell me if that were the case. No news is good news, right? <laughs> well, Joe talks about being up to his eyeballs in work, yet I find it very interesting how he's defining his work. Obviously, it doesn't include supporting Wanda. Uh, can you tell me, Nick, in your opinion, what is it that makes a manager a manager? I, I think this, this reminds me of a – I think I have this in the, in the book, too. It reminds me of, of the – the managers that sometimes say, "I love I, I love my job except for the people," <laughs> and, they, and they don't they don't understand that the job is the people because what a manager's job is to to achieve results, hopefully positive results for their organization 
through the resources under their care, whether that be equipment and, or people or whatever. And in most cases, they are people. That's where the whole idea of servant leadership comes in. So, so the more you do for them and the more you help the people, uh, the better off and more productive the team is. But I, I think a lot of managers lose sight of that and see the people as more of a nuisance. And they want everybody on the team, you know, I need this person to hit the ground running. You know, I, I can't, I don't have time to, to train or talk to anyone. They have to have all the skills right away. And if they don't, I don't have a place for them on my team. And and that's uh, that's that's the wrong approach mm-hmm. to management. management. So here you're saying that managers are really not proactively developing other people. And, and one of the things that I picked up in what you just said there, um, you know, was, of course, the element of time, which seems to be, a major complaint that managers often voice and why they're not proactive in developing other people. Um, what, what, what else is going on? Why aren't managers uh, being more proactive in developing others, and why don't they understand that this really is the essence of what makes them a manager? And Do you, do you see this having an impact on, on the success of organizations? Well, I, I think that, that managers, I sometimes joke about this, say managers are people too. Uh, some people would argue with that, but we're all people, and as such, most people aren't proactive. I mean, most people, if, if you compare it in, other, in, in any walk of life, let's say with exercising, I mean, everybody knows in their heart of hearts that they should exercise, I don't know, three, four times a week, they should eat less or whatever, but, you know, if if you, if you don't exercise today, your chances are you're not going to die you know, you're not going to drop dead. Uh, it, it usually takes a crisis, something to happen that's severe, a heart attack, something to, to jolt somebody to do something, dif- you know, different in mm-hmm. their lives. So it, it's the same thing with management. I mean, if you don't teach somebody on, on this day, uh, they're probably not going to quit. I mean, if, if you don't give feedback to someone on a particular day and let them know how well they're doing, it's not going to... F- going to affect you that day or maybe that not, not that week, and it's not till it comes to a crisis mode when you have 50% turnover your team, then, then all of a sudden an action plan is put in place to address it. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, I think it's just human nature, but the impacts are, I mean, they're severe because mm-hmm. if, if you don't do the proactive things, the things that you need to do daily, day by day, the little things then product, productivity really, really gets hindered. So it, I think it has a huge impact in organizations, negative yeah. impact. I would agree. And, and, you know, what we're seeing is a trend in organizations where, you know, managers are being defined as managers, but they're not really managing anyone until, as you just described, they're in that state of crisis. And I think your exercise analogy is excellent. Um, and what we're seeing is a lot of managers that are really highly paid individual contributors because they're not proactive in supporting and developing people at all, and they really don't swing into management mode until that crisis arrives. And um, I think organizations are really losing as a, as a result. I would really agree with you on that. Um, in Chapter 4, you talk about another very challenging issue for managers, which, of course, is sharing information. Why? Is it so hard for so many managers to share information with their team? Uh, and how have you seen this impact businesses that you've been a part of? 
I think I think most managers will tell you they don't share information because they don't have time. I think the time time excuse is used frequently, and I I think they would also tell you that they don't need to know this information. You know, they just need to do their work, and mm. this is stuff that I need to worry about, and they don't they shouldn't be concerned with it. I think there are other reasons, though, and probably more common, and one is to is because information is typically power, and, and, and managers like to have power and, and, and hold on to it. I, I think that has that has a significant uh, that's a significant reason why they don't share it. The other reason I think is because they don't they don't trust the people. Uh, they they have the feeling that oh my goodness if I let this out they're going to they're going to tell our competitors. Uh, if I let the people know that the company is doing poorly, they'll quit. You know, there's there's a there's a concern that that the people are going to do something dreadful with with the information. And I think the impact that that has, especially if if you don't trust the people, the people certainly aren't going to go out of their way to help you. And and the irony is, is just when you need to share the information the most, like when your company isn't doing so well, mm-hmm. that's when it seems even less information is shared. So people are just going to go about the, their day doing sometimes as little as they can to, to, to stay employed when it's really the time where you need their ideas, you need their help, you need them to work more hours or, or whatever, and they're not there to help out. So I think it's devastating. Uh, I, there's a quote, I forget who it is, I wish I remembered the, pers- the person who said it, but it, he said there's nothing nothing worse for morale than a lack of information mm-hmm. down in the ranks. He was the CEO of a company. I forget which one it is. But he doesn't say there are a few things. He doesn't say there, you know, mm-hmm. he says nothing mm-hmm. is worse. Because people want to know. They want to know what's going on. And as a manager, you need to make sure they get, they get that information. You can't just say, you can't point them to a website. You have to actively push the information down. Yeah, so true. Let's move on to chapter number five, uh, where we're looking at the challenging topic of listening. And I was wondering if maybe you could read for us a bit again uh, the dialogue between Wanda and Joe, and this is uh, found on page 27. Wanda arranges an appointment with her boss, Joe, to pitch an idea. So Wanda says, Joe, I think I have a way to help reduce our inventory costs. And Joe says, okay, let's have it. Wanda says, well, the overall premise, and she gets cut off, the phone rings, and Joe picks it up. Joe says, Joe Carr speaking, can I help you? Jack, how are you? How was the golf vacation? Super. Hey, I have someone in my office right now. Can you give give me a call back in 10 minutes? Great. Talk to you soon. And Joe says, go ahead, Wanda. I'm all ears. Wanda then says, as I was saying, the premise is to shift the inventory burden from us to our suppliers. And Joe says, speaking of suppliers, did you get that report out to Belgrade Steel yet? They've been all over me. Wanda says, yes, Joe, I got it out yesterday. Joe says, great. You know, Wanda, when I ran the operations for Jericho back in 1993, we had an issue similar to what we're having now with Belgrade. I fixed it by increasing communication. I started a weekly conference call with the client. I'd like you to start one up with Belgrade. Wanda thinks, does this blowhard want to help the business or just talk about his own exploits? I came to ex- I came to discuss my idea, and he wants to chatter about himself and fix a problem I've already dealt with. Joe thinks, 
This is kind of fun. I hope this kid is grateful for all the help I give her. No one was around to do it for me when I was up and coming. Joe says, listen, Wanda, I need to make a call. Did we cover everything? Wanda says, I guess so. Joe, Joe says, great, this was good stuff. Drop by again soon. You know, I'm always, you know, I'll always do what I can to make myself available. I think those little background conversations are so much fun uh, as you share what they're thinking as they're having this conversation. I've often thought, wouldn't it be great, you know, in, in team building or coaching environments, if we could have little word bubbles pop up over top of people's heads to, <laughs> to be able to have that kind of running commentary on what's really going on. Um, do, you, do you think that, that managers just feel that they don't have time to listen, or are these poor listening skills just bad habits that they've built up over their entire lives, um, and, and why is this such a problem today for so many of us, and not just managers, I mean everyone, and, and what do you think is going on? Why are we, why are we like this? Why don't we listen? I, I think it's a, I think there's a few reasons. One, one again, I think the excuse of time is used, and I don't have time to listen to this, and some, some managers believe that they they don't need to listen because they already have the information they need, and it's it's not it's not that important. But I, I think the overriding there, there's a within our culture in the United States anyway there there seems to be uh, for some strange reason a correlation that people make between intelligence and how much someone talks, uh, and. I think that a lot of people spend their time, for instance, in meetings just trying to think up of, of, of intelligent things to say so they can appear in, intelligent. Or you'll have managers in a meeting, uh, especially senior managers, that will read email. They'll get their BlackBerry out and they'll read their email all day or all during the meeting. And then as keywords, as they catch some keywords for the meeting, they'll, they'll blurt, blurt something out to, to make, you, make it seem like they're paying attention. And... and uh, what they're really doing for the people in the meetings that are still awake anyway is they're, they're trying to they're trying to show how intelligent they are but they're really ex exposing you know their their ignorance mm -hmm. and, and you know that's the whole source of, of Dilbert and all that kind of thing mm -hmm. but I mean I think I think it's it's a matter of the culture it's a matter of time the way people are, are, are brought up and but, it, 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 again, it's one of those things where if, if you don't learn how to listen, it really has a huge impact. I like to quote um, Bill Russell. He, he has a winner of 11 NBA championships. He has a quote that says, if, if, if you don't listen, you can't win. And here's a guy that, like I said, won 11 championships, two of them as, as a coach, player coach. Mm -hmm. And you would think that a guy after all those years would, would – think, geez, I, I know what I'm doing, I know, but he makes it a point to say he listened to all his teammates because they're playing the game. They know, they know what's going on. They can help. Uh, so it's so important for us to take the time out to listen because we don't, we don't have all the answers. We can't assume that we have all the answers. We can always learn more. Hmm. Excellent. Uh, chapter number six is, is filled with treating people like human beings. In your opinion, Nick, do you think the traditional style of management that we see so often uh, that is represented in your character, of course, Joe Kerr, uh, do you think this is ever going to go away entirely? Will we ever work through that 
you know, kind of old-style uh, approach to uh, how we treat people. And uh, how do you think we're progressing towards that goal? I, I don't think that the Joe Kurzel will ever go away completely. I, I think there's a little Joe Kerr in, in, in all of it, certainly in me. I, I see, you know, I try to, I, I try to stomp him out, but uh, mm-hmm. a little bit, I think, in, in everybody. And I think it's just, it's just the fact that, that there's levels in any profession or in any skill. I mean, there's people that are better than others. Some are, uh, I think the majority are average, and then there's a few that are good, and then there's uh, even fewer that are great. Um, I just think over over the past 10, 20 years or so, since I've been involved, it, I see the pendulum swinging the other way. There's there's less and less of of the good, and I, I think we need to concentrate on getting the people from from average to good, and that that's really the purpose of what what my book is all about. Because it can make a huge, it can make, make an enormous impact when you do that. Because managers impact so I, a lot of times managers don't realize the, the impact that they have, not only on the people as they work in their organization, but on the people's lives and and the people's spouses and family members. I mean, it's a huge impact that managers have on people. And if you just get, if we just get it swinging in the other direction a little bit, um, the impact can be enormous. Yeah, and, that, and certainly personal choice and personal decisions are a part of that, but perhaps a topic for your next book uh, might be to look at the system side of the organization and its impact on managers making those choices to be that traditional uh, manager and how sometimes organizational systems play a role in beating people down and, um, you know, kind of eroding away their tolerance to be that person who demonstrates those excellent people skills. Right. I would agree with that. And, and some of the systems that, are, that usually contribute are the reward systems mm-hmm. that are in place are typically, I mean, a lot of times they don't reward uh, you for doing some of the things that, that I'm recommend, recommending doing. And there's a lot of ways to get shortcuts to, to get to that bonus and, uh, instead of doing what, what's really the right thing to do. Yeah. Chapter 7 has another great opening with uh, Joe and Wanda, uh, and this one illustrates the challenges with the chapter topic, which happens to be goal setting. Okay, Joe, Joe has just been asked to spearhead a project crossing multiple organizations. The project originated from recommendations made by a consulting firm. Joe thinks, we really need to get a jump on this thing. I'll call a meeting for this Friday, then we'll meet weekly until it's done. Joe calls his administrative assistant, and he says, Jane, can you set up a meeting for this Friday at 9 a.m.? Make sure we have bagels and coffee available. (laughs) And then a a month passes by, and Wanda asks Joe, Joe, how is your pet project coming along? Joe says, I think we're really making progress. Wanda says, what are the goals for the project? Joe says, well, this project is fairly complex, so the goals aren't hammered out completely. We'll have to remain flexible and work our way through it. But we're meeting weekly, and that's the important thing. We've had some good dialogue. I think we just need to get to know each other a little better. Then the, the collaboration will flow. Wanda says, do you mind if I share your project and schedule, your project plan and schedule with the team? 
I think it would be a great learning experience for them, and me too. Joe says, project plan? Well, we don't really have time for that. Frankly, we don't even need one. This group has been around the block a few times. <laughs> Wanda says, when will you wrap things up? Joe says, I'm, I'm not really sure. We'll just have to play it by ear. The leadership team is very busy. We don't have much time. I consider it an accomplishment just getting everyone together each week. Oh, my. <laughs> I'm sure there's folks on the, on the phone uh, right now that probably could relate to that little vignette. Um, in your experience as a manager in organizations you have worked for, uh, Nick, how often have you actually seen projects really get rolling uh, without you know, a clear plan and, and goals? And, and how did that impact the project teams that you were a part of where this occurred? I, I think it happens frequently much more than, than we would we would like. And I, I think the higher up in the organization, the, the more frequently it it seems to occur. And it's for some of the reasons that, that were mentioned in that in that opening there. I mean there's there's beliefs that maybe it's not needed or or that some believe it's above the need to plan they're above the need to plan, some think it takes too much time to plan, so let's just let's just get on with it. And typically what, what happens is, the, is they don't get implemented. Things don't get implemented successfully. And, it, and it, really, it really hurts an organization because, as I mentioned before, you're trying to – it's hard enough for people to change. Uh, and, and when you try to, for instance, put out some strategic initiative and, you know, everybody's heard it's the flavor of the day mm-hmm. and in three months this will pass. And, and once that occurs once or even – and sometimes it's occurred a half a dozen times. It's so much harder than to actually make a change. So it's just, it ends up being that you, you can't make a change. It's just too difficult. So when you can't implement change throughout an organization, sometimes it can kill that organization. Um, other times, you know, it, it just really it just really harms it. Some, some can recover, you know, when they get to the crisis point and then put a plan in to recover you know, sell, sell off portions of the company, whatever. But in general, it can, it can really be devastating to an organization. But I think the way it happens the most, though, is it's kind of like a slow atrophy. People just start not to care anymore, and they go through the motions, and, and you really don't get what, what people in our industry always talk about engagement, you know, mm-hmm. get the engaged employees. And it's tough to be engaged when you don't have direction, you don't have a plan, and every every and a lot of the things that you try to accomplish don't get accomplished. Yeah. And you, you hear in the dialogue that you, that you read uh, about this particular situation with the, the planning, um, Joe kind of alluding to the fact that, of course, they don't have time. They're a leadership team. And, um, uh, you know, it, it often so, so often comes back to time. And, you know, if you were able to quantify in so many teams that don't take the time to plan the cost to the organization, it might be really interesting to have that kind of data you know, the front-end planning time invested, what's the cost of that compared to the back-end errors? Uh, I think it would be really interesting for organizations to calculate that. In, in Chapter 10, uh, it's, it, uh, it, it's entitled Embrace the Uncomfortable. And as a coach, you, you get to guide people through this kind of thing every day. Uh, how hard would you say is it for people to actually change their behavior? 
and how much time does it take for people to really implement real change in their lives? And as they're, as they're struggling through this process, what do you suggest to, to folks who are really trying to make an earnest effort to change? How, what can they do to keep themselves motivated while they're moving towards their goals? I think as, as, as we discussed a little bit already, I think it's really difficult to get people to change. Mm-hmm. And I think the key is that, uh, that you have to somehow explain to them that, that it's much better to change than the, the, the alternative. And the more distance you can put between the, the new situation changing and, and staying the same, the better. I, I think coaching is, is really critical to making that happen because when you're a coach when you're coaching someone and managers should be coaching their their employees you you can inspire them you can you can direct them so you can be their cheerleader uh, I mean you can discipline them and on, on some occasions you can give them the nudge that they need the inspiration that they need to go forward uh, of course the key is that they they need to trust you and believe and respect you. Uh, I mean, if you look like at a sports analogy, I mean, you could be, it's the same thing. If you had a coach in, in sports and say you were having a slump as a, as a hitter in baseball and you went to your, your you know, your coach and mm-hmm. said, you need to do this. If you don't have respect and trust the trust of that coach, you're not going to do it. No matter, it might be the greatest idea in the world, but you're not, you're not going to do it. So it's really important that so, – so this type of thing can't happen overnight. And, you know, that's why I advocate – I think in my book I mentioned it too. Sometimes people try to bite off more than they can chew. They want everybody on the team to get their development plans together and mm-hmm. we're make this – you know, we're all going to concentrate – we're going, going to concentrate on training and we're going to – some of the people just don't – don't care, and you have to try to win them over sometimes one or two people at a time. You have to get to the point where they trust you and they, and they, they believe that you can help them, and they believe that you're interested in, in their career and, and improving so and changing. So I, I think that's the key. I don't think there's any set timetable that you can say, well, it takes three months to change. Uh, sometimes it, it, it can take longer. Sometimes it, it, it can be shorter, but from the coaching perspective, I think it's the encouragement, it's, it's the uh, helping them see the bigger picture uh, and, and moving them along, being that constant sounding board, even as a listener, just listening to what they're going through, all, all help them in, in their journey toward changing. Yeah, and wouldn't it be wonderful if, if managers saw themselves first and foremost in, in that kind of role of being that cheerleader, as you described it, um, you know, in really encouraging people to... Um, make subtle but consistent changes in their lives that can make such a huge difference for them. One of my favorite chapters, and I was so glad to see you included in the book, uh, was chapter number 12 on persist. And um, why did you uh, choose to include this as a strategy, and how would you say the idea of persistence has impa- impacted your life, uh, both you know, personally and professionally? The reason that persist is in there is, is because, well, a manager's job, and we, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the situation, how some managers aren't doing as well as they could be doing, and, and there's a reason behind that. It's because it's really difficult to do. 
it's a really difficult job. And anybody that says that, it, that it's easy is, is probably not doing a very good job at it. I mean, the manager has uh, multiple masters. They have the people. They have their, their bosses. They have, they have internal customers, external customers in a lot of cases, all pulling them in, in different directions. It, it's, really, it's really a difficult job. Anybody that's dealt with a performance issue will tell you, it's a very difficult thing to do, and it takes time, and it takes energy, and it, cause it can, can sap the lifeblood right out of you dealing with something like that. So there, if you don't persist, you know, there are things that you do, like giving positive feedback or negative feedback. If you don't do it on a regular basis, I mean, you don't get the, the, the feedback. You don't get that right away. So if you don't do it on a regular basis, it doesn't happen. So you need persistence to make that happen. You need persistence to deal with a performance issue. You need persistence to be, you know, when your idea or your team's idea gets shot back, mm-hmm. shot down by management, and then you have to rework that idea and work on your delivery of that idea so that it gets, a, instead of just discarding it, getting it to be approved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all takes persistence. And if you, it's so much easier to just say, well, forget it. You know, I got rejected on this. Propo- I'll never submitting another proposal again because this got shot down by Joe Kerr. <laughs> Why even bother? I mean, it takes persistence if you want to want to knock down those walls and overcome those objectives. So it, it's it's very important um, to be successful as a manager is to continue to do the little things, the important things, day after day, to achieve the the. the the incredibly huge positive results in the longer term. Yeah. And as, as far as my own life, I, I'd like to, to switch it around. I, I think mm-hmm. I've definitely benefited from persistent, being persistent. I, I think on the flip side, my main regrets hmm. have come about from when I have not persisted or from when I have quit. Mm-hmm. So... I don't, I don't, I never want to be labeled a quit. I, I, I like the, I think it's Norman Vincent Peale who, who said it's, it's, it's uh, always too soon to quit. Yeah. And I, and I like that saying because, because it is. I mean, persistence can overcome so many things. It can, it can overcome uh, a lack of talent. It can overcome a lack of experience. It can overcome a lot of things if you just keep hammering at things. And I don't I mean to say that you'd bang your head against mm-hmm, the wall, but mm-hmm. I mean, you, you need to know when it's futile. But um, persistence can overcome a lot of things, and it, it's essential for a manager. Unless they want to be lumped in with the way everybody else does it, uh, it's important to have persistence. Yeah. It's, it's such a... a, a, a um uh, a character that we see demonstrated by so many people who have achieved phenomenal success. I mean, you think of people like Edison and, and um, you know, some of the great artists and, and how, you know, the, the things that they just overcame and just put up with and just kept going. Um, it obviously is a, a very important attribute to develop to be successful. Your, your last two chapters deal with some personal management skills, 
uh, following up and planning. We've talked a little bit about planning and how important that is. Would you be uh, able to share a few tips related to getting organized that might help those of us um, listening today to make improvement in these you know, critically important areas for us as, as managers and leaders and organizations? I, I think the biggest thing that I recommend to people, because there's always a lack of, of time, I think that's one of the biggest issues that managers have, and I, I, I tell people you, you will never have enough time to do everything that you need to do, uh, and you will always be able to find other tasks to fill in for things that you don't want to do or, or you're uncomfortable doing. You will always, I mean, it's, there's just so many tasks to do, so giving negative feedback to somebody or in favor of doing something else that you enjoy, uh, you, you'll just never get to it unless you set time aside to do it. So I, I advocate that people plan their entire week at the beginning of the week and to care for it. This is kind of a Covey, Stephen Covey concept to, to care for the, uh, the non-urgent but important mm -hmm. activities and just to block off time in your schedule to do those activities. Because if you don't block off the time to do those activities, you will never get them done. There will, there will always be something that, that replaces it. Uh, the, the, the key to that also, though, is that you have to honor that, that time. And I think in today's world it's become uh, so difficult to do because a lot of times all the, all the tools that we have for productivity, uh, if, we don't, if we're not careful, can make us exceedingly unproductive. Hmm. Uh, if, if we, you know, it used to be we just had a, a telephone and, and a, an occasional person walking by. Now we have email and we have the ping set up on email. We have instant messaging. Uh, we have all these ways that we can be interrupted and and sidetracked. And if you do that, you can't. You can't get to work. I mean, some people say, "Well, I'm multitasking," and that, that usually doesn't work out too well because you, you, you just don't get it done. You have to turn the stuff off and get and get the work done. Um, and you'll find that you get much more accomplished that way. Mm -hmm. You don't have to keep redoing or reworking what you've already worked. It takes you an hour to do something instead of four because you were doing all these other tasks in between. So there are just some. There's a lot of other tips and. In the book that that help with that because I know that's a big big concern for managers is time. But I some managers truly are overworked and they're doing too much and they need to, to do something to change that. But there there are certainly smaller things that can be done to help to help um, schedule time better and execute better that that can solve a lot of the the problems that managers have with their time or lack thereof. Such great and practical advice and things that we all need to be reminded of regularly. You know, the the, um, the things that, that drive us towards success I don't think are overly complex or even necessarily things that are unknown, but they're things that we forget and fall out of consistent practice of. So I really appreciate your, your putting these kinds of uh, attributes for success in, in your book and, and for writing it and for sharing it with us today, Nick. Uh, and I want to remind folks that um, to order a copy of Lead Well and Prosper that they can go directly to Nick's website, which is B-B-E-Good, 
Ventures, Be Good Ventures, all one word, dot com. BeGoodVentures.com for Nick's book. It also can be purchased from Amazon. Before we open up the floor for questions, and I unmute everyone so that they can um, have some dialogue with you, uh, Nick, I'd like to mention our June 27th edition of Bookends, where we will be featuring the book Collaboration 2.0, written by David Coleman and Stuart Levin. And uh, this book deals with technology and best practices for uh, successful collaboration in a web 2.0 world. And uh, we have a a rather exciting lineup of authors uh, for the remainder of the year, um, including, for example, the international bestseller Love Them or Lose Them, which we will be featuring later in 2008. And all of these events can be found on our website, teamapproach.com. You can also go um, to... um, the uh, bookends uh, area of our website found on our website, teamapproach.com, on the left side, there's a bookends button where you can listen to all of the archived bookends events. So we encourage you to do that. Uh, also, while you're there, you can sign up for our news list, our, news list uh, our general news list, which is full of all kinds of news. And we have a specific news list just for bookends if you just want notifications for bookends. So we encourage you to do that as well. You'll find all of that under the free stuff button on our website at teamapproach.com. I I would like to um, ask you if you have plans for a next book. Um, What what might we expect to see as a a next uh, work from from you, Nick, now that you've gotten your writing career off to a wonderfully successful start? I I do have a couple of ideas that I've been been thinking of. One of them is, is more just a compilation of, of topics that are covered in, in the Joe and Wanda blog. Mm-hmm. The Joe and Wanda blog touches on a, a lot of other leadership topics and, uh, and, and Joe and Wanda's reaction to them. And uh, I'd like to try to get as much mileage out of Joe and Wanda as I can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's uh, an idea that I have. Uh, I'm also looking, at, looking to write... A, a book more from the perspective of of the employee mm. than the manager, mm-hmm. and I, I just have some thoughts around that. But I, it's 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 uh, it might have another cast of characters, but um, leading things off in, the, in each chapter. But that's still kind of a work in in progress, still in the, the visionary stages at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I have a question. Ah, I wasn't sure if I was really unmuted. We hear you. Uh, uh, my question uh, relates to the the language around uh, do you see managers doing it right or not? Um, and I, I hear more of a pessimistic view that, you know, we really aren't doing it if things are going backwards rather than forwards. Uh, so I guess I'm kind of curious. What signs of hope are you sensing in in the uh, in the managerial world that leads you to believe that uh, another book will help? Hmm. I, I'm not that's, really. That's a good. That's a good question, and I'm. I mean, I do. I do see signs of of hope because I, I do some. I do see people applying some things and. and and differentiating themselves and, and succeeding as a result, and that's really, I mean, that's really what this book is all about. And if it does, 
you know, if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's an excellent point because I, I like to talk to, uh, I like to mention the fact that there are so many books. Uh, there's a slide in the presentation that I do about all the material out there on management and leadership. There's no shortage of stuff out there. Mm-hmm. There's no shortage of things telling people what they need to do. And, and I think a lot of people know what they need to do, uh, but they just need a little push to get there. It's a matter of, a matter of packaging it in a, in, a, in a correct way to try to stimulate action. And I, I compare it to the, di- the diet industry, right? We have I mean, <laughs> so many books written on how to, on how to lose weight. But in America, anyway, in the United States, people are more overweight than ever. Yeah. Um, I, I think a similar thing is happening in management right now. But And what's the answer? Is my book the answer? Uh, that's that's the trial balloon mm-hmm. at this point. That's one of the reasons that I organized it in the way that I organized it. I tried to put some humor in it. I tried to make it so it wasn't overburdening mm-hmm. with theory uh, so that it, it was boring and, oh, I could never implement that. That's why I have it set up for each, at the end of each chapter, there's things that you can avoid, there's things that you can do to improve. I'm trying to make it, not, I don't want to say, like I said, it's not easy, but I'm trying to make it so that you open it up, pick something out, and start doing things differently. And, and I think that's the key. You start doing a couple of little things better, then that, I mean, that's the, that can make a huge difference. In the I long do. term, I, I know people that that read leadership books and management books, and they read them all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I say to the question to them, I have is, "What did you implement?" In <laughs> and and I and, and I say to them, "Why don't you try to implement not the whole book, not ten things? Why don't you try implementing one thing mm-hmm. from uh, each? Like, surely, 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 you can find one thing valuable in that book that you read, even if it was wasn't that good." Why don't you try implementing one thing from each book that you read? So, so that's what I think. That's the hope is that don't try to take it all. In, that's another reason why I don't focus on the whole great. Everybody's got to be great, and mm-hmm. the whole superlatives, great, great. Because it's let's let's start with with being good, <laughs> and, and and start with getting good, and yeah. that's why it's it's fifteen successful strategies for becoming a good manager. Mm-hmm. Let's start slowly. And let's let's have something that's geared toward action that maybe some people will be more willing to look at to improve, and then we'll see that see what see where that takes us. And if that doesn't work, maybe there's another approach. So that's kind of the way that I'm that I'm looking at it. Couldn't be a better answer. I I really love that because I I honestly do. I'm as an overweight person who has some poor managerial skills. Uh, I can really identify with the parallel you bring at this because I do have books on how to lose weight and I and, and I get overwhelmed very easily. And what is very attractive about uh, the way your book is being described, I, as I say, I think I said at the beginning, I haven't read that. I'm, I'm going to be one of these people looking up your website, I think, because um, I tend to get overwhelmed by all the things that I need to be keeping in mind. And and what you're doing is the same thing I'm suggesting in, in my work of helping people in time ma- ma- mastery. And that is, you know, you, you, you look at what is the next thing I need to do mm-hmm. in order to get up. Right. not what the end goal, my next thing. And you're saying find a next thing in any of these books that I'm working on. And yours sounds like it's, it's built into that system, which is really exciting. Thank you. 
Yeah. Thank you for the question. Absolutely brilliant advice. Sometimes the simple is the most overlooked and can be the most practical way to make something different and better in our lives. So I would concur. Any other comments or questions for our author, Nick McCormick, today? Well, I have a comment for Nick, and I want you to know that I don't think it's because anybody – we don't have questions because I think we've gotten most of the answers from the <laughs> conversation this morning. And uh, I really wanted to thank you because I have a mandate, and that is to basically change a culture uh, where in, in a new position that I'm in. And I was a little hesitant at first, but now if I go back and think about what I have learned, what you've talked about are some of the foundations and the, and the same premises, and it's going back to just being persistent and t taking the managers and taking them one at a time and getting them to really understand what their purpose is and how important they truly are and really make them or help them to believe that. And that's by us as upper management being able to show that and being a confidant for them or being the mentor or the sounding board. And that was my key today. That, that helped me hit home because I was really a little hesitant thinking, okay, what can I do? I don't think I'm going to be able to pull this off. But it's bottom line is going back to the basics. Back to the basics. Right, great. And don't forget the purchasing of uh, 10 cards. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely will help change your culture, and we can guarantee it. Absolutely. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. And any other uh, comments or questions this morning for Nick? Okay, well, hearing none, I think what we will do is, is give you an opportunity to return five minutes early back to the workplace where I'm sure you all have um, exciting opportunities waiting for you today. And I would like to once again thank Nick for being our, our uh, guest today on Bookends and for sharing your wonderful experience and expertise with us, Nick. Thank you uh, for Bookends. Um, I am Susan Stamm, and I hope to see you all next month. Thanks again. Thank you, Susan. Had a lot of fun. Thanks, Nick. Thank you.